Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Dave Banerjee from R&D Resources. Hello, Dave. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm very excited to uh, to share your background and expertise with our audience. Before we kind of do that, it would be great to have you tell uh, somewhat of your story as much as you'd like to share in terms of your background and how you got to where you are today. Oh, that's interesting. That that could take ages, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it could. Yeah. A lot of experience. Um, my academic background starts off with a degree in engineering, and then I you know, quickly moved into finance. Uh, I have two MBAs, an operations research background, um, and a, a CPA, so audit accounting, but focused mostly on the financial services industry and products and and operations. So. That's in a nutshell. Well, thank you. And you have quite a bit of experience in industry as well, too. How long have you been in the industry? About 38 years now. So close to 38 years. So I imagine you've seen quite a bit, probably everything come and go at this point. True. Maybe over 400 financial services firms, including banks, insurance companies, broker dealers, and advisors. So that's the focus area. Very interesting. Uh, and can you tell me a little bit more about your company first, uh, R&D Resources, Inc., and uh, what, you, what what it is and what you guys do? The, the company focuses on the financial services industry in terms of regulatory compliance and operations. So we um, uh, help firms register as broker-dealers or investment advisors. Uh, we help them with their regulatory reporting, their operations, Uh, supervision of activities. And then at the end, we help them with regulatory inquiries and um, inspections and enforcement. So, Understood. Thank you. So the people that you are working with are typically the financial services companies. Is that right? That is correct. Focus on on the institutions. Correct. Institutions. And you get involved when they are working on creating new financial products um, as well also. Very much so, yes. Understood. Excellent. Uh, which obviously is an area where we've seen quite a bit of activity more recently as financial engineering, as you've shared with me previously, I'll use that term, has continued to evolve and become essentially more digital, right? So we've moved from different forms of currency, which uh, were more you know, manual or uh, physical to digital. Uh, and I think from what we've talked about previously, you have been pretty active in this space as a lot of that has continued to evolve. I think the um, you know the public has more focused on the digital and the currency aspect because of the media, but throughout the thirty-eight years, we've always been impressed, and that that that's actually which keeps us going in terms of learning from people who come to us, the institutions, and the products and services that they market, um, the repackaging, the securitization. Um, the uh, slicing and dicing of products um, to settlement, custody, customer protection of funds, um, reporting, and obviously the regulatory aspect. So it, it covers quite a broad angle and it's very interesting, you know, very, very interesting. It sure is. And something we talked about uh, previous conversation was that So you talked about kind of the evolution of the industry as new products have come to market and people have looked for different like innovative ways to bring new products to market. I'd love for you to share, you know, a little bit about what you've seen throughout the course of your career in terms of what that process is typically like for 
innovating in this space. Uh, I know, you know, what we talked about previously was related to some of these digital products that are now being created, um, like blockchain technologies, cryptocurrency. We talked about NFTs a little bit. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what's going on in that space and what you're seeing from these financial services companies. Well, we've seen an explosion in terms of um, um, technology and the use of technology and the use of terms, actually. And we've seen the uh, use of and the abuse of such terms. But it's not really new. We can take you back to the dot-com era, which was very similar. Uh, We're seeing a lot of um, interest in the new products. So, To take you back a little bit, the fundamental basis is a disintermediation, which is the investors and the investees. The investees need capital in order to um, engage in um, business activities that are unique under their specific uh, scope of activities. And the investors in turn are looking for a uh, risk return reward. Um, traditionally, the index has always been the stock market, which is deemed to be a, an efficient medium. But there's other markets. There's the fixed income market. There's the treasury market. So you would often see uh, pegs or indexed on returns based upon such uh, uh, measures. The difficulty that investors have is the amount of risk they're taking um, pursuant to the element of the return that they're getting. And most investors are not aware of that um, or don't have a mindset to that. Um, And that's okay because when they invest the funds, they have an investment horizon, they have an investive um, element related to returns or speculation. Um, So there are different investors that are seeking different items and the regulators have been tried to keep up but there's a lag between financial innovation and engineering and regulation. And what we're seeing today is basically a clash between how to regulate on the new financial instruments that are coming in. Um, what you talk about being digital, which is separate than the use of blockchain technology, you know, but uh, th- there's an overlap between the two. So one is a technology platform and the other is a product element. So, yeah, that's well said. So the activity that you've seen from an innovation perspective with these financial engineering products, there's always been a process to it, right? But more recently, you've seen that be a significant uptick in activity, Correct. maybe because of what we've seen in the media and things like that, where people are talking about all these instruments and so supposed like gold rush kind of elements where people are maybe rushing into space that don't have the expertise that you do. So they don't really know what they're getting into. And I think You've mentioned previously, you've seen some of that as well, too. I'd be curious to hear from you, you know, what does the space look like at the moment? Is it is it a significant portion of the newcomers without the expertise that they had previously? And as such, are they getting themselves into some trouble or are they just not understanding or being frustrated with the process as they start to learn just how much of a commitment may be required to really be successful here? Um, or is there still more of a balance? I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, I I don't know much about the balance. So when you talk about new technology, you're talking about people who are technologists or academic or scientific in nature who actually do the building blocks. Um, On top of that, you have the rainmakers 
who take those and apply them in terms of marketing, advertising, and today's marketing and outreach has, again, gone social media or digital in nature. And their intent really is to attract um, people with disposable income and sometimes even non-disposable income um, into these newly created elements. The elements themselves and the due diligence behind those elements vary widely. Um, some are zero, and we see them as fraudulent, and, and um, we see them in the public disclosure of regulations and enforcement. And then some are very well done. Some are very uh, astute. Um, a good example of it would be Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin, when it first started, uh, started from a white paper, got implemented, um, got engaged, and has had significant years of um, implementation. But even in there, you've, we've got people who've broken away and created subcategories of Bitcoin to, to uh, access different markets. But <clears throat> so Bitcoin in itself, the idea behind the Bitcoin was very commendable. The implementation of that uh, went through a process, but now there's a dichotomy in terms of what is actually uh, presented in terms of Bitcoin. And obviously, Bitcoin regulation is far from being forthcoming, but we've seen an acceptance rate that is far ahead of the regulatory reach. And that may or may not be a bad thing, you know? So there's something to be said about free markets. Regulation um, imposes a cost on free markets and, um, and that measure has not yet been defined. So, so we're in a process right now. It's a very interesting process. Uh, yeah, we're, following, we're following cases and case studies, and we have um, clients and firms that have come in and are waiting on the sidelines to get into it when the um, regulations have been more clearly defined, you know? so Yeah, that certainly makes sense when you're talking about kind of a new industry almost, not that this is a new industry, but an evolution on the existing, on the previous industry. Oh, yeah, we're, we're seeing NFTs as an example coming yeah. in. Uh, we're seeing something called DAO, uh, which I forget what it called, Digital Auto Autonomous uh, Organizations, which is a very different concept in, some, in terms of corporate formation that is very different than the C-Corps and the S-Corps and the LLCs that we've gotten used to seeing. We don't know what the tax angles on that are. We don't know whether it relates to or could be defined in terms of SPACs or um, other items that are in existence and whether, you know, it'll evolve into a different, you know, new, different animal. So, yeah, well said. Certainly interesting times to say the least with so much activity in space. Um, I'd be curious to hear from you too, in terms of what, like how should, for the for your clients, the financial services uh, organizations, what are they, uh, what does the innovating in their space look like, right? And then Across social media, we hear a lot about NFTs and the different like DeFi instruments that people are trying to create and creating different coins and crypto and stuff like that. But in terms of what, and I, I think a lot of that has a heavy consumer focus, it still has business applications, but a lot of it comes from the perspective of consumers being active in that space. I'd be curious to get your take on what it looks like from the business's perspective. Like what are the financial services companies, how are they innovating in the space and what type of products are they thinking of building? <laughs> So typically, we see innovations coming in from um, 
you know, garage scale operations and then immediately being applied by institutions. And institutions have a specific advantage because they have analysts and, and attorneys and um, legal and operational people to be able to take an idea and implement them into a product. Um, but having said that, though, we do see and we have a rigorous due diligence process when when a firm comes in with an idea and is looking to register, um, we tend to understand the product they're in. We tend to understand the amount of uh, specialist applications or uh, specialties that they have, their academics, their background in terms of implementing it. But more importantly, what their market is, is their market a specific segment uh, that uh, goes to, for lack of a better word, accredited, knowledgeable investors? Or is it more specific to retail and consumers? Because the protection uh, afforded by existing regulations is very different. You know, suitability, best interest standards, best execution, they're all very different between different segments. When, when a particular new product starts getting into the consumer retail market, that's when, the, um, that's when the regulators start to get concerned. As long as it's limited within an institutional market, uh, and we've seen examples of that, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the financial crisis that started with the uh, credit swaps was limited to institutions, you know, AIG and, and uh, buzz bracket firms in terms of risk parameters. And having been defined, they ended up into an excess where it was quote unquote free money for a, for lack of a better word, an insurance-based product, you know? But people assumed that as long as they were limited to institutions, they know, knew what they were doing, they were ill prepared to see that melt away and start affecting pension plans for firefighters and teachers and, you know, uh, people who can ill afford to have such losses. So, uh, you know, ERISA has beefed up, Department of Labor has started getting in. So now we're seeing a mix of regulations. States have gotten involved with significant overlap. In, and we have to always be wary of new products coming in to the retail consumer market and the overlapping regulations that there are on it, you know? So cybersecurity, uh, um, you know, Consumer Finance Bureau, uh, these are not something that we were really prepared for in earlier years, you know, so. Well said, that's a clear delineation, I would say as well, also in terms of institutional versus as it starts to make its way into the retail space. I think you've mentioned that the regulators are particularly sensitive on that uh, classification, right? So the closer potentially to consumers, so-called like Main Street investors, that starts to really raise uh, the priority on perhaps the visibility of the regulators as well also, which certainly makes a lot of sense, um, a lot less regulation there and more to be protective over. And one of the issues we keep running into is where uh, technology firms um, you know, crybabies in terms of saying, well, the regulators don't understand us. But what they forget is that the regulatory history of capital markets has been so long that there's significant parallels between what they're doing and what was done before. So regulators have the uh, advantage of a look back in terms of looking at a new product and trying to find similarities to market explosions or implosions 
that have occurred on similarly products in the past. Okay, and there are numerous examples, you know, securitization of auto loans, you know, um, home equity line of credits that have now been packaged into digital products, you know. So it's not unusual. So regulators have a wealth of knowledge and they have a wealth of history behind them. So it's a great point. So for people that are coming into the space, like the technology firms that you mentioned, wanting to be disruptive perhaps is the best way to describe it need to realize that there's a significant history here, right? And the people that are setting the rules for how you can play the game, they have been around a long time. So they've seen other vehicles, other products come and go. The technology may be different. The vehicle may be a different form, but the process is relatively similar. And, and I know, it, yeah. Yeah, it boils down to the risk return uh, element, you know? So Well said. Um, we talked about previously, which I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about here in terms of the firms that are innovating in the space when uh, the financial engineering with some of these digital products, not necessarily being ready for the, the true commitment required to have to pass the regulatory process. I'd love for you to, to share a little bit more about that. I imagine now is a time when you must be quite busy getting a lot of inbound interest. I'd love to hear more about that as well, too. And I'd love to hear you talk more about like who, how many, how many of the firms that you engage with are truly ready to go through the process. Uh, that's a good question. With all the inquiries we get, I would say our uh, acceptance ratio is um, about 1%. You know, So wow. for every 100 firms that come, we would probably, and there's a reason for that. It, it does has nothing to do with the product or how ingenious they are, is whether or not they have the administrative and the institutional element to be able to support that product. So... Um, you know, the, the regulations don't just derive from the product structure itself. They go past that. They go into operations, which we call uh, internal and administrative controls, you know, registration requirements such that they could be held responsible. The, uh, there's a minimum ex supervisory experience requirement of one year in the specific product areas and markets. Um, and a lot, a lot of them lack that. In some cases, we can for lack of a better word, lend our staff experience to that. And regulators would get that approved, uh, knowing that we have the level of knowledge. And uh, I, I won't say that it's knowledge. I think it's the fact that we've been around for so long, been there, done that kind of a story, that we can raise the red flags and prevent a meltdown. So it's a whole combination of items. Um, also, the capital. Uh, that is being, uh, and we're seeing a lot of extreme capital come in, but the um, people uh, that are leading the uh, innovation space are lacking either the academic support or the technical support to support that, you know, including customer service, you know, protection against losses, uh, what the upside looks like, liquidity preferences, you know. Um, including cross-currency. So, And when you get into cross-currency, and crypto is a good example, you're looking at everything from central bank reserve policy, determination of M1, M2 in terms of <clears throat> managing inflation and interest rates, to cross-border jurisdiction, you know, so. And now with, you know, global... Um, tax that is being applied at a minimum of 15%. So 
um, tax havens. Uh, look, uh, minimizing taxes is a individual right in this country. Uh, but it, to the extent that it gets into tax avoidance, ends up becoming a felony. So money laundering, which obviously nobody likes, um, and uh, tax avoidance as opposed to tax minimization are very important items. So You've done a great job of articulating the level of commitment that's required here and just how much work needs to be done beyond the innovation, right? So it's a real commitment. Uh, all the way down to your team and the expertise that you have, that financial commitment, which you've mentioned before as well, too, which obviously makes sense. So it's a real undertaking, uh, it so is. to speak. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well said. So I'd be, given the nature of the significance of your experience, I would end where you've seen the industry kind of come and go to. I'd be interested to hear more about you in terms of what you think is next for the industry or what you see developing at the moment. Like, What are you most excited about from an innovation perspective in terms of how the world will, how the world of finance will change. So I, I think it's important to separate the innovation from the uh, underlying blockchain technology emphasis. So blockchain is not the uh, be all and end all of all financial innovation. It has limitations and it has, it demands a significant amount of energy, uh, de demands a significant amount of mining. It still has uh, some weaknesses in terms of the public private key. Um, it doesn't provide for a regulatory uh, audit trail. It maintains an audit trail and it does a very good job of it, but it doesn't uh, maintain a audit trail for historical inquiry uh, purposes when things start to go awry. You know, today's article talks about uh, a couple stealing, I don't know, 3 billion or 3.5 billion. Um, so these items need to be addressed, and, and the regulators will probably push for that, you know, um, in and exchanges. I mean, uh, we talk about, um, you know, exchanges being developed on these new products based upon blockchain technology. But what people tend to forget is that when you talk about an exchange, the exchange itself becomes the guarantor for the settlement of these such products. So in order to do that, an exchange should have more than adequate capital in order to be able to avoid from what we call fails or errors that may occur in the system. Um, so they are the guaranteed intermediary between the buy and the sell side of a um, innovative product. So for somebody to come out and claim they're an exchange is, is actually fictitious and probably fraudulent if they don't have the capital to support it. So uh, one good example would be the um, digital assets that are being touted as being um, tied to a currency, um, the dollar, for example, but doesn't have sufficient dollar reserves to be able to affect uh, an exchange capability. Um, so, you know, so there's enough red flags that for people to go in on a mass uh, basis without conducting sufficient due diligence. Institutions tend to have people on staff, but uh, the average retail investor reading the newspaper and, and getting their foot wet is likely to get burnt, you know. So when you talk about uh, crypto billionaires and millionaires uh, smoking cigars and retiring at 24. Remember, it's a snapshot. 
it's not the progress of those people because they can lose as much money. Um, you know, take Mark Zuckerberg as an example. I mean, he lost, I don't know, a significant amount of billions of dollars in one day. So if he can lose yep. so much money and the average investor smoking a cigar and retiring at 24 can get wiped out in a matter of seconds, you know, so. Yeah, that's well said. And an excellent example, we've heard about that very recently. So that really underscores right, uh, the level of the level of scrutiny that, you know, you need to be aware of if you're going to compete in this space, right? It's not, like you said, it's a snapshot. That's not, that's not um, necessarily where things are going. So here's the underlying. If you want to make money on your investments, rule number one is don't lose the uh, principal. There's a return on your principal that goes in, which we call the uh, return on investment. But more importantly is the return off your principal. So rule number one is if you can't afford to lose the money, don't do it. Rule number two is if you had, if ever in doubt, refer to rule number one. You know what I mean? So well said. Well said. And thank you for being here, Dave. It's super interesting. You have so much experience. I could ask you questions all day. Um, I'm, I'm excited to get feedback from the episode because this is an area, obviously, where we're seeing a lot of activity in the market. Um, before I let you go, I have a, two more questions for you. And the first is, are there any resources that you would recommend where people can go to learn more about you or anything that we talked about here today? The, one of the best resources is the regulatory websites, right? The SEC puts out investor alerts, and they put out white papers. Um, <clears throat> um, the states have do the same. The um, um, professional organizations in that area also do the same. So it's important that people refer to these because there's a significant amount of very good material available um, on it. So uh, that should answer one of your questions. And forgive me, can you ask me the second question yep. again? Thank you for sharing. Uh, excellent recommendation. The last question I have for you is, what's the best way for people to connect with you? I would say LinkedIn. You know, um, I kind of semi-retired from the practice, handed it over to younger people with more eagerness. and um, But I do generate white papers and I do uh, post items of interest on LinkedIn. So my recommendation is to follow me on LinkedIn and reach out to me through that media. So. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. We will link to that in the show notes. And thanks for being here to record an episode with us. All right. You're welcome, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's nxtstep.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.